Bordy. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. In a villa in the Tuscany hills in Italy, here I am sitting with Anglo-Italian food writer, cook and presenter Paola Maggiuli, aka the Tiny Italian. We've spent the day in Siena and evening drinking wine and eating the most delicious pasta. Paola was brought up in London with a South American mother and Italian father and spent most of her childhood in the family delicatessen in London's Battersea. She's diced with danger in Colombia, travelled the length of Italy to find the best regional dishes and has a burgeoning TV career, including appearances on ITV and Channel 4. Paola Maggiuli is on the Big Travel Podcast. So, hey, here we are. Where are we, actually? So, we are currently in the hills of Tuscany, right at the top of a hill, in a Tuscan villa owned by Mansalto, and it's in a small place called Monte San Savino. Like that was all a bit of a mouthful, but yeah. And it's all, it's beautiful, isn't it? We it's are surrounded by stunning. vineyards, and we're in an old farmhouse, and it's now a seven-bedroom luxury accommodation. We're sitting on a four-poster bed, <laughs> and I'm feeling a little bit like Paula Yates right it now. It is definitely a big breakfast vibe right now. Didn't Absolutely. turn out very well for her. I hope it turns no, out. No, and I don't think her. actually my outfit. I'm sat here in my grey and blue PJs. So. We're both in our pajamas. <laughs> I have to say, this is the very first big travel podcast I have ever done in my pajamas. <laughs> or in bed, to me. Yeah. <laughs> So there's a first time for everything. And I am here with the tiny Italian. Tiny Italian, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am the tiny Italian. My full name is Paola Maggiuli. I am an Anglo-Italian food writer, cook, presenter. I was born and bred in London, multicultural background. Mother's Colombian, dad's Italian and grew up with the family deli. So my dad had a deli for 20 years where me and my brother, you know, were a bit reluctant to work over the years, but taught us great work ethic, taught us how to love food. We, you know, taught us everything about the Italian culture. And then now, yeah, that's kind of what I do. I try to, I love all of that. And I try and teach people that side of things and try and get people into cooking, share my love for home cooking, quick recipes, because I understand being a Londoner, you don't always have the time to cook. But I believe that we should make time for ourselves and what we eat is the most important decision we make. Um, so that's what a lot. That's a lot of what I do. I do cooking events. I do supper clubs. I do classes. I also have like a really fun YouTube video. You're um, on Channel Four. I've been recently on Channel Four on a new cooking show called Cooking Up a Fortune. That was super fun, where I cooked my Southern Italian type of food to a public. And that was very interesting. I'll let you watch that to see what the end result was. No, yeah, it's been exciting since I've been doing it, yeah. And tell us about, let's start with your dad's deli. Where was the deli? So my dad's deli was in Battersea, in south-west London. He opened it in 1994. Um, It was a real old-school salumeria. So a salumeria in, in Italy is like, when we say delis, I'm not talking about selling coffees or making sandwiches. I'm talking salamis are hanging off the wall. We're talking about every single cheese you could imagine filling up a whole fridge. He's selling fresh pasta, pesto, tomato sauces, wines, olive oils. It was basically a mini Italian supermarket and he fed a community for 20 years. So he had people coming in, you know, that he knew where they you know, just had a newborn and he saw them going off to uni and they'd come to the deli and, you know, buy bags full of food that they could take off with them and 
yeah, it was incredible. Like my dad was a really hard worker. He came over from Puglia, has really serious work ethic and he put all his love into the deli, but he also put a lot of love into the people that were around him and he wanted them to eat well. So he would give them recipes, give them advice on how to cook things. It was like walking into your own kind of like world of food, cooking, supermarket. It was like all in one. And obviously the family helped run, run that. And I think people re- used to quite enjoy that because if you actually think about now, there aren't that many family-run delis in London anymore and it's really, really sad. But my dad would, you know, he was really proud of me and my brother. So he would like want us to be there and introduce us to people. But yeah, no, it was it was a great thing. But sadly, due to gentrification, business rates going up rent going up he's decided to close it down in 2011 which is then when I decided to take on his legacy I wasn't really into food before then but as soon as the the shop closed I could tell that something was going something huge was going to be missing out of our lives so I wanted to continue my dad's legacy I first off started to sell his produce out of a, a fridge on wheels on the same road which was Northcote Road in Battersea and I did that for a year. And then after that, I started to do blogging. And then I am where I am now. So that's where you got the tiny Italian name. That's where you're, the... you're not a tiny Italian. You're a very normal sized person. <laughs> I would say I'm a curvy girl. You're a curvy girl. I'm a curvy, I'm a curvy girl. Um, I look very Italian. But as you can tell from my accent, I don't sound Italian at all. But I'm very proud of my heritage and my roots. And I, I think I show and I have a lot of what people would say, like Italian personality qualities. Um, you look completely Italian as far as I'm <laughs> And being here in Italy with you, I should say that we are in bed together because we're on a press trip together. Yes. And we've had the most wonderful couple of days wandering around Siena and sampling food. We've just done nothing but speak about food we've just and had, eat and I mean, drink. We've just had the other. most amazing cooking class as well now. We've just got taught how to make a four-course meal. No meat. Everything had like a handful of ingredients. I mean, that's what Italian cooking is about. And it's not just about pasta and pizza. And I was terrified about the cooking class because I just don't cook at all. And you were just, you know, you, you talked us through it. You helped. You were, you know, spontaneous and, you know, full of advice. And I can see where, you know, the, the TV shows and, and people <laughs> like Channel 4 really want you as their sort of food ambassador. I can really see I'm that. I'm really passionate about food, but it's not about my passion. It's more about me trying to infiltrate that passion into other people and get people excited about food. I feel like there's like two schools of thought. There's like the people that are great chefs, great cooks, can make food look pretty on a plate. And then there's the other people that are like, oh, I don't have time to cook or I'm not too confident or I can't make food food look amazing. And what I want to do is try and get those people, the latter group, half, I'm not saying I want them to be amazing chefs and cooks, but try and get somewhere in the, in the middle where you are cooking great food for yourself Food is not difficult. Cooking is not difficult. It's as easy as you want it to be. It's about what you enjoy eating. And I know from being, you know, having a career in fashion 15 years where all I did was work every single hour of the day. I was being stressed. You know, I turned to other things. You know, I used to, you know, go out drinking was my biggest release. But when I started to do cooking, I realised that that was actually a great way for me to think about something else that wasn't work it helped me to distress and my lifestyle not only benefited it because I wasn't hangover like every other day but I also was channeling my passion and my love into something else I was eating better so that my mind and my body so my mind was functioning better my body was looking better and then I was feeling more confident 
So it's all about that. It's not just even about the food. It's about everything that good home cooking can represent for someone. It's about health. It's about nutrition. It's about family values. Family it's about rest. social gatherings and getting people together I get it I mean I'm not a a great cook I I don't enjoy cooking but I love eating and food is always a massive part of travel Mm -hmm. so which is what brings us here and you're really well traveled your mum was Colombian how did your or is Colombian yes how did your your mum and dad meet in a pub in Enfield called the White Heart apparently (laughs) and what were they doing here um, so my yeah, dad, rather. so my dad had been well. My dad had been living in the UK since he was sixteen. My mum was actually over, was actually only over here. She had been living in Madrid for five years, and that's where she thought she was going to remain because she loved Spain. But during that time, I think it was nineteen seventy nine. I think Thatcher had put some new law in place where it allowed her to travel to the UK and not have to, you know, fill in lots of paperwork or all this sort of stuff. So she came here as an au pair went to the pub with her two Latin American friends that she was with at the time and my dad bowled up and started chatting to him and he took them out like as a foursome like him and three chicks and no one knew who my dad fancied until they went to I think it was called the Empire in Leicester Square and apparently this slow song came on I think it might have been Spando Ballet and then they were like whoever he picks is the one that he fancies and my mum said she used to have this Argentinian friend who everyone used to like she was like tall leggy like model looking and my mum was like a hippie and all this sort of stuff but he chose my mum and the rest is history it'll be true i reckon the song will be true no the song is i know i know but i like that but it'll actually be true it was true it happened and so did you go to columbia as a child have you been to columbia yeah i went very regularly every two years my mum would take me and my brother so i have a very also strong connect to my colombian side Colombia's amazing and it's unfortunate that for so many years throughout the 80s and 90s it has such a bad reputation I remember being there and you know my family not not wanting us to go out by ourselves we would have to be chaperoned I guess Um, because it was it was it was a scary time I remember my mum crying when they shot that it was like nominated to be president I think it was called Galan and I remember my mum I remember being like nine years old and my mum crying in the kitchen in London and being like why are you crying? She was like, because the man that was going to give us hope is just... I, at the time, I didn't, I didn't get it, but it's, it wasn't until I started watching It's Silly when I watched Narcos. I was going to say Narcos, Netflix. yeah. When I watched Narcos on Netflix, I was like, ah, oh, this all makes sense. And I started also to piece... real footage as well, Very, Yeah, it did. So I started to connect what I was seeing in Narcos to what I remember as a child and what my mum would tell us or what I used to see or when I was in Colombia. And the country went through absolute terrible... I mean, the country was under hostage. Like it was a hostage of its, you know, in its own right. But now it's the most. It's it's come through. It's come through the other side. I mean, I'm not saying it's a perfect. It's still got room to like improve. But it's beautiful. The people are the warmest I've ever met. They know how to party. They know how to live. They work to live. They do not live to work, which is something I find sometimes is the case in. In London especially, people live to work to make money, while the Colombians are like, we're going to work our arse off Monday to Friday, so we can party on the weekend. And I think there's, I think that's an incredible way to live. So. And how have you seen the person, your personal changes from your trips from when you were tra- a child? What was it like then in compared ter- to now? In terms of what? In terms of... Whatever, life. What did you see? I mean, I think... My mum and dad, though they brought me and my brother up in London, they made sure that we were really strongly connected to both our heritage. And it, they were very... They wanted us to understand, like, the different things that each culture brought. 
So they really integrated us. And I think I remember being quite shy as a child, like from up until 10 years old. And then going to Colombia and my cousins being like, come and play with us and hang out with our friends and listening to salsa and like going to parties. I'm like, people, boy, I was like, kids don't dance like this back home. But I was dancing, I was being taught salsa at like 12, 13. Amazing. And it wasn't like sordid or anything. It was like genuinely like learning. And I became a better person. I became more confident in myself. And I actually, it was quite strange. I think I appreciated that I was different to everyone else at school. Because you were at school in Essex. Yeah, I was. I was um, my mum and dad took me and my brother to Essex when I was like in 1985. Even a though popular you had... migratory route from, <laughs> from London, it is, yeah. isn't it? So I was there Essex for or Kent. So I was there for my whole education, but because we had the deli in London, we were always in London. So it was like we were, our lives was like between between both. So did your dad take you to Italy when you were young? So ev- so since the day I was born. I've been to Italy every summer. So this is amazing because lot, not all immigrants could afford no. to do these big journeys home, particularly Colombia, which is obviously a very expensive So trip. my mum and dad were not well off. My dad, when I was born, had three jobs. Like he only got the, he only started working in the deli, I think, in 82. was a manager for someone else, and then he owned his deli in 94. But I remember being at school and, like, we weren't well off. But my mum and dad were, like... It was so important for them that we were connected with our family because we didn't have any family in the UK. Had no grandparents, no cousins, no uncles. They all lived in Colombia or they lived in Italy. So I remember we used to travel to Italy because my dad wouldn't fly because he used to have a phobia. We used to go from Victoria to Folkestone, get a ferry to Calais. From Calais, we'd get a train to Paris. From Paris, we'd get the Couchette train to Milan or Rome. Then we'd sleep overnight and then from Milan and Rome we would get the train down to Lecce and then someone would pick us up and drive to my dad's village. It would take it would used to take like two and a bit days. But that sounds amazing. That, that was before like the really U- amazing trip. That was before the Channel Tunnel. Like before Eurostar, before everything. And then when obviously the Eurostar happened, then that cut like half a day out. Because you could literally travel from like London to Paris in like a few hours. Because London to Calais used to practically nearly take a day. But yeah, but my dad would, I don't, I don't know where he got the money, but he made sure that we used to go every summer. Because those were my childhood holidays were driving down to the south of France or, or Italy, you mm. know, they were those routes. But we went in a camper van, did they not think of driving? I mean, I love the idea of the train, I really want to do that by train. My dad, my dad doesn't like, he's not a big fan of driving. My mum has suggested to him so many times, like, why don't we just drive down? He was like, absolutely not. He just, he's, but now he does fly because when my grandparents passed away, he had no choice because in Italy you bury the dead within 24 hours. So he had to get on a plane when my nan died, for, my nonna died in like 2003. He had no choice and he's been flying ever since. So Just took that one meaningful journey to yeah to and then he was like it took my mother to do that to get to get over his phobia so now I know you did a a, a sort of Italian odyssey I would say last year in terms mm-hmm. of travel yeah. and food tell us yeah. about that journey so I decided to quit my career after 15 years and I knew I wanted to do go freelance and be a full-time Italian food expert and cook but for me to do that even though I had traveled to Italy a lot like all 38 years up until this point it had mainly been to Puglia which is where my father's from and I'd been to Bologna I'd been to Venice but I hadn't really been anywhere else so I decided to embark on this journey where I thought if I'm going to be an Italian food expert even though I had read a thousand cookbooks and had cooked all these dishes I needed for my own personal self to understand like what those dishes looked like in those cities what did they taste like what ingredients were actually being used like what was the different variations so 
last summer I started in Naples and my whole focus was just to go to the main cities because being a London girl and understanding like how hard it is for people to make time to cook I wanted to see how other people in other cities dealt with that so I only went to all the capital cities of every region so I started off in Naples then went up to Rome Perugia Florence Genoa Milan and Torino and I can categorically say every single region was different there was no similarities their own cuisine their own local dishes their own local produce obviously there's like you're going to get tomatoes and mozzarella and everywhere but the way they cooked their food was different in every region and that just I, I knew that I had read about it but experience it completely blew my mind like blew my mind and that's why when I come back I'm saying Italy isn't like Italian food doesn't exist I actually wrote an article about this it's like it does not exist a because Italy only unified in the late 19th century Italy was invaded by the Spanish the Greeks the Arabs the Austrians I mean you name it it's been <laughs> invaded by everyone and whoever invaded that region left their own culinary tradition shall we say so you can see that in every single in you know in mo- you know in every single region it's got its own individual food culture. What has been your most standout meal in Italy? There's a district in Rome called Testaccio, which is like an old Jewish quarter, and it's where a lot of butchers used to have their butchers, but <laughs> they you know their shop fronts, and the food there is pretty mind, but it's quite rich. They use a lot of offal, a lot of meat. It's, again, cucina povera, which is poor man's food, but they would use everything, nothing would go to waste, which is something that I feel like we're now going back to, like, food wastage is, like, a no-no. And that's what they used to do. They used to use every single part of a pig or of a cow or whatever. And, yeah, this area in Rome is pretty phenomenal and all the restaurants are quite small and... The food there is actually different from other quarters in Rome, which is kind of crazy because it's the same city, but they specialise in like more meaty, like pulses, um, like the pastas all like home, like freshly made, like tonnerella alla gricia. So it's like a carbonara. So it's got um, guanciale, which is pork cheek with lashes of pecorino, but it doesn't have egg. But carbonara comes from Rome, so you, you, they've got. So basically, Rome has four pastas. They have the carbonara, alla guanciale, cacio e pepe, which is just cheese and pepper, or la matriciana, which is one of my favourite pasta dishes, which is again pork cheek with tomato sauce. So basically, these four dishes you all use the same ingredients, but have like the addition of something or something's been taken out, but it's a completely different dish in itself. You might be able to help me actually. There's a restaurant in. Rome in a quarter that I went to once and it's famous for its artichokes and there's a man that sits there all day on a bucket sits on a stool I don't, I don't know but I feel like I'm going to Rome oh in a God. few days so I'm actually going to go and see it's if I can find it I'm going to walk around going anyone where anyone, where's the man with the, the artichokes there in the bucket <laughs> oh my god it's amazing and they do these like I don't know if they're roasted they were just it's just divine and it's really well known for its artichokes. I can't remember and I've been back to Rome since and I haven't been able to find it. So can you go on a mission to find I will the do. artichoke restaurants? But is it don't. artichoke season? I don't even know. It's not artichoke season now because no. actually I went to Rome this time last year and I went and they went, you, you've got to come back in spring. So I'm, it, I probably won't find the artichoke man. But if I go back in springtime, I promise. I'll, try and find artichoke I'll try and find, man for yeah. me. Have you travelled further afield? Obviously Colombia and Italy. Yeah, I've been to Cuba. 
that was one of my best trips of my entire life. That was phenomenal. That was four girls slumming it, shall we say. We didn't stay in hotels. We stayed in people's homes. Plus a Yeah, yeah, exactly. Two weeks, bloody brilliant. We kind of like, really, again, I speak Spanish, so it really helped me to like get involved with the locals because that's, that's something that I do when I go away. Even when I went to Italy, when I went to Rome, I, I think I spent half a day doing touristy stuff. The other six and a half days was just like mixing in with the locals. Like, that's the best way to get to know a country and a culture. Like, I know, like, people, oh, you should go and see this. Oh, yeah, it's fine. I mean, okay, I appreciate churches and old buildings. I do. But if I'm being really honest with myself, what really gets me going is, like, sitting down and eating with people and getting to know them and their backstories. I think that's a great way to, like, learn about a country and its culture. And actually, we love stories on this podcast. So could you think of any standout characters and moments you met oh my God. in Italy o- already. or Already. No, in Naples, yeah. my Airbnb lady was Ivana. She was... Like, let, me, let me try and describe her. She's like a big woman, curvy woman, really strong face. She kind of had this kind of like... Old, like this kind of hair that she'd bleached a thousand times and it kind of was like super layered so it was like a bit of a mullet she was a music teacher at the local music consortium and we were staying in her airbnb next door and i could just hear her like just having a go at her husband all the time but it was just kind of like it was really really funny but she invited me and my friend who actually came out to see me for a few days she was having a birthday party for a friend and she invited us over and it was in her courtyard and she invited a load of her friends and everyone bought a dish. And it was just all of us together, just eating together. And people, like, really interested in what I was doing, what my friend was doing. And they were just giving us plates of food and just dishing them out to us. And it was the most incredible experience. I was like, I've got a video of it. I don't know if I've explained it really well, but it was just like, it was like a big table, all of us standing around there. And then they were telling stories and they were getting guys to get up and tell jokes. And I was like, no one's got their phone out. No one's doing social media. Everyone's just sitting around talking with each other with a whole banquet of food in front of them. And it took about three, four hours to get through the whole thing. But it was the most incredible. And Ivana was an incredible woman. Like I just remember saying, I remember looking at her going, you know yourself and you are proud of yourself. You're a strong woman. And I think Neapolitan women are very much like that. They're very strong women. They kind of own the streets, not the men. The women own the streets of Naples. Yeah, that was, I, I never forget her. I always said to her, I'll go back and visit her, and I hope I will, because she's an amazing cook as well. So she'll say, come back and I'll teach you how to make all these dishes. So hopefully one day I'll be able to do that. What about Cuba? What's your standout moment in Cuba? <laughs> I got one as well. Uh, I've got a couple, but I don't know. I think one of them's a bit... Oh, I don't know if I should tell. No, <laughs> okay, so we went. We went to a place called uh, Trinidad. Yes, mine's in Trinidad. Is it too? My story, yeah, with a salsa guy. Oh my god, me too. Oh my god, Please. it's not the same salsa guy, is it? Anyway, you so tell we your... go to salsa party, then we love yeah. you know the, the salsa party doing the square. Yeah, in and the uh, Casa de la Cultura, they do the the square. The and, square, yeah. whatever, and. Oh, God, this is, I don't know how this is going to come across. And so this guy says to me, oh, do you want to come up and dance? I was like, yeah, cool. Yeah, I had so that too. I go and so put far, my, so similar story. So I go and put my hand on his waist and, like, you know, like how you do. And yes. I went to go to grab his hand. He didn't have a hand. Oh. He had a stump. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know what to do because I was kind of looking at him. In, I was looking at his face when he's obviously... And I'm like grabbing for like and I'm literally grabbing air and I'm like where is this guy's hand and he oh, didn't so he had because apparently they do they you see a lot of people with their hands chopped off I don't know in if you Cuba. noticed that mm. I can't remember 
Yeah, people told me that that's something that they do when people are like, like done naughty like things. Like a punishment or something. Punishment thing. My God, I mean, I've read a lot about Cuba and, you know, studied a lot of Cuba and spent time there and, and love it. But um, I don't remember hearing about that. So I ended up just grabbing this, his stump and then dancing with him. And then my friends look at it. It was like, it shouldn't have been awkward, but obviously it was. Because like, it's just not what you, you expected. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, but he was a great dancer, though. Oh, really the nice. dancers there are amazing. Yeah. My, my standout moment in Cuba also happened to involve salsa and dancing in Trinidad. And Trinidad, for anyone who hasn't been there, is this beautiful, beautiful town with it's cobbles. Stunning. that It's just... Oh, it's just... Because in, in Cuba, I mean, certainly then, there's no, like neon lights on the street no. you know there's no it's just proper old worldy Havana and the other cities just proper just culture and people and beautiful old crumbling old houses yeah. sadly but these beautiful old cobbled streets that just shine in the daytime and you're stepping over massive cracks and mm. trying not to break your ankles at night and the salsa is amazing yeah. and actually what my one great regret as a former dancer is that I I don't salsa. I mean, I can I can wing it if yeah. I have to, especially if a man sort of swings me around. But I love to go to dance to salsa lessons. I've never been able to persuade anyone to it's come with me. It's a sexy dance, so sexy, so sexy. And then when a man can, if a man knows the salsa, yeah. I mean, that to me is like on my oh, list. Oh, I know because they need <laughs> you, and it's so sexy. Yeah, yeah. So we went to uh, me and my boyfriend at the time went to a, a a really amazing like place where they were all dancing salsa all night, and I was like, you know, can I dance or whatever? If I'm, someone asks me, it's like, yeah, right then. So anyway, someone asked me, and I was look, like, look, I'd really like a lesson, you know, like a one-on-one lesson. He was like, yeah, okay then. So we, we arranged, there was this amazing guy. It was almost like he was the Patrick Swayze of salsa in, in, Cuba. in Trinidad. Yeah. And we were, I was like, you know, do you, do you know where I can get lessons or whatever? He was like, yeah, come and meet me tomorrow. And he was dancing with this girl. And the next day we arranged to go and meet him and we met him in the square and then he started taking us down these back alleys. It was like, oh God, this is a bit weird. And we knocked on this door of this house that was like barely still standing up. And this massive wooden door opened and there's a lady. We went through a kitchen where a lady's cooking something from a big pot. It's like something out of a film and a film where you're likely to get stabbed, you know, yeah. at the end of it. Walked up these rickety stairs, someone was doing washing and came out onto this rooftop where there was just sheets hanging. Almost like a bit in The Greatest Showman, the sheets, oh you know, the washing is drying yeah. there. And it's like, OK, this is a bit weird. But waiting there was the girl that he'd been dancing with the night before. And we spent, well, I spent the most amazing couple of hours having this salsa dancing lesson on this rooftop amazing. in Trinidad at sunset with the sheets billowing in the wind and the view of the hills beyond and the sun going down and the light was incredible. My boyfriend spent possibly what was the worst two hours of his life <laughs> with the girl who oh. just was like, you don't know what you're doing, you don't know what you're doing. I like, got really angry with him. And like me and the guy were like going, this is going, amazing. Yeah. Like, you know, I just love it. And I love dancing and everything. And it was, it was just very, very funny. I mean, the boyfriend is now my husband. Right, okay. It has become a funny story. Yeah, yeah. But it was just a really, really memorable occasion. He had both arms though, so he wasn't your guy. <laughs> But Cuba's an amazing place. Oh isn't my it? god, I, it's one of my f- favorite holidays of all time. Like it, re- it really was. The, I remember being in Havana, and again, one of the houses that we were staying in was like on this really rickety street. You know, kids running around. You know, like it, it's it was poverty, but I'd never seen so much happiness in my life. 
it was just so beautiful it was colourful like, I can still close my eyes now and remember the street and remember like who lived where because we were just we were there for like four or five days but I just felt like we ended up knowing everyone and because again I could speak the language it just it just helped like that barrier just came down and they were really interested in us and I was really interested in them and yeah no it's a beautiful place have you ever on your travels felt threatened anywhere ever had any sort of really dodgy moments I mean that I, I mean I've yeah I mean the only time I've ever had anything really dodgy happen was in Colombia and it was 1994 and the gorillas were kind of like the far left were you know taking a bit of control of the country and we were driving so Bogota's really high up it's like I can't remember how many feet up above sea level but the it's quite high up and to get any to go anywhere you have to kind of drive round and down the mountains and we were with my uncle who's in the he was in the military la policia militar and he was quite high up he was like a general we were driving down the street and I remember me and my cousin and we saw the most beautiful 1950s red convertible on the side. I remember it reminds me of the car in Karate Kid and the one that he takes home at the end. It's like, oh, it was that, but like in red. And me and my cousin, oh my God, that's so amazing. So you'd be 14. You told me earlier you were 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's 14. But then a lot, when we were like driving past the car, I remember seeing two guys running up alongside the mountain. I didn't really think anything of it. And then we went round the bend... And then, yeah, we heard gunshots and I saw two dead bodies. A guy, uh, they were in uh, military clothing, so a guy had his face straight into a steering wheel and there was someone on the floor dead. And there was someone there, he stopped my uncle and he was like, you need to turn around now, like now. And then he turned us back and then he actually knew a vet that lived only down the road where he'd bought his little puppy from recently and we stayed there for a few hours. I remember my mum just like hysterically crying because she was like, what have I just put my kids, like I've put my kids in danger. My brother didn't have a clue. He was asleep in the back and when he heard gorillas, he thought he was expecting to see a big hairy gorilla come out of like whatever. He didn't really understand what was going, but that was probably one of the most dangerous things I've probably ever encountered. I've never, you know, like... Luckily, it never really scarred me to see any of that. I don't know why, but yeah, hearing the gunshots and then someone like, get out of here, You're like, where are we? Like, but, in, but that was the only thing out of all my travels in Colombia. That was the only time I ever saw anything like that. Well, it was very a very dangerous time yeah. for it then. People got kidnapped all the time and you guys as foreigners, you know, as rich Westerners yeah. to all extents and purposes, could have potentially been a target. I wasn't allowed to talk in taxis with my mum. Don't say a word. Even though my Spanish is really good, don't do it. You know, like weren't allowed to wear any jewelry, weren't allowed to wear any clothes that would attract attention. Obviously, I love wearing bright clothing, and even when I was younger, I was very much very creative in terms of what I used to wear. But my mum was like, "Can you just wear like jeans and a jumper? Can you just not?" Because at the time, it was that sort of place. Like you said, a lot of kidnappings were going on. It was really sad. But I don't, you know, that, like I said, that was a long time ago. It's not like that now. Oh, it's this huge, um, it haven't been, but I see a lot of people that I follow on Instagram go there all the time. And mm-hmm. like these, they post these beautiful pictures of, yeah. of uh, all the colourful houses. Yeah. Oh, it's God, incredible. It's, it's, it's very a, Instagrammable, isn't it's it? A different, it's a different place. It's a different country. And I'm really happy that it's come through the other side because it deserves to. Because it unfortunately had, you know, corruption, drugs cocaine has given it and it does bother me now and people say oh where are you from where's your where's your mum for oh the first thing that says oh cocaine I'm like shut up it, the country has got so much more to offer than that it has beautiful emeralds coffee orchids it has you know some of the best 
dancers I know in the world, you know, in, I've been to the best parties in Colombia. Like I said, they know how to live. So I hate it when people just want to tarnish it with drugs. I mean, it's a, it's a, obviously it's a big part of its history, but it's a very small part of what it actually is as a country. And oh, it's too much to get into right now. But, you know, the, the US government actually played a huge part in what in the, yeah. the, the drug wars that were going on in, you know, yeah. in the whole the growing of the drugs. And yeah. it's just a huge thing. Yeah. To, we can't get into it right yeah. now. But you know, it wasn't necessarily always their no, fault. No, it definitely wasn't. There no. was a lot of meddling. Yes. So I hear. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so where else have you have you been that I've missed before I ask you my I'm last try- couple of questions? I'm trying to think. I swear I've been somewhere cool recently. But I can't I've done a lot of Italy. And I understand you've travelled to New York quite mm-hmm. a lot as well in the yeah. States. Yeah, I've been... With my previous job, I was very fortunate to go out there like three, four times a year. I was in fashion for many years. So that involved me going to New York and Philadelphia. Philadelphia is also a great I've place. I've heard great things about Philadelphia. Oh, it sounds really cool. It sounds like New York, but more walkable. And... It's, it's walkable. It's grittier. It's not, I guess it's like the ungentrified version of New York. It's probably what New York was like maybe like 15 years ago, maybe. But it's cool. It's super cool. The music scene's amazing. The food scene in Philadelphia is phenomenal. I've, I've had some great meals in Philadelphia. And there's also like a massive Italian community there as well. Um, so I've eaten some really good Ita- American Italian because obviously American yeah, Italian food Italian. is very different to traditional Italian food. I spent quite a lot of time in Boston in the Italian quarter there, right. and it's all can- cannoli. And, yeah, yeah, it was really interesting. Like yeah. great people, very Italian. Never been to Italy. <laughs> no, but it's it's but the, the things about Italian Americans which I think are very different to British Americans. Italian Americans are extremely proud of their Italian heritage, even though they've never been there. They bang on about it and they still go, oh, you can know, and all these sorts of, they kind of like really put on like the really faux, well, I'm not going to say faux, yeah. but they really go into it. Like really, Anglo, British Italians, not so much. I'm a super proud of my Italian roots, but when I meet other like British Italian people, like they're like, oh yeah, we're half, but we're also very British as well. And I'm some, which is great, but I also think it's so different, isn't it? Like how the American Italians and the British Italians have a, have a different way to kind of approach their heritage. It is. It's really interesting to see how... I mean, I'm fascinated by immigration in that sense yeah. anyway. You know, as someone who grew up in Spain with an immigrant dad who'd come to England and, you know, been surrounded, being, being yeah. always been the other. I am very fascinated by that. So I'm off to New York tomorrow. <laughs> by the time this podcast goes out, I will have hopefully come back from New York safely. But I'm going to be flying for 22 or travelling for 22 hours tomorrow we're here in Italy we've had this great couple of days uh, courtesy of bookings for you on this press trip with a bunch of fellow bloggers and content creators and influencers if we dare I don't think I'm an influencer but you guys certainly are and yes I'm off to New York what are your top tips New York top tips for New York I've been there so many times okay I'm it's going to be associated with Italian food yeah go on do it (laughs) well there's Italy which is that biggest Italian superstore like supermarket store of all time it's incredible they're actually going to open one in Liverpool Street I think next year which is going to be great in London Um, yeah yeah. so it's just a a big store just dedicated to Italian food and what's great about it is that they do actually focus on the different regions and all the different foods that you can get from each place which is fantastic Williamsburg Brooklyn I think I personally prefer Brooklyn to Manhattan. There's a little bit more, it's a bit more creative. It's a bit more like more youthful in that sense. Um, it's still 
loads to do but it's not like crazy busy like I feel like you're in Manhattan and sometimes people are like you're gonna get trampled on by the like people it's a bit like London while Brooklyn's a bit more chilled actually I had the most incredible Chinese food in Queens that was also I don't know the name sorry but my friends one of my best friends girlfriend she's American Chinese and she took us on this amazing Chinese you go to Chinatown in Queens it's fabulous Uh, I'm going to Harlem for the first time Yes, yeah, so I've never been to Harlem. So Harlem's, Harlem's good. I went. To, I think it's called Sylvia's, which is like a soul food type place. That was really great. No, and what's the most New York thing that's ever happened to you in New York? Oh my god! Okay, the first time I went to New York, loving it already. <laughs> the first time I went to New York, it wasn't with work. It was when my best friend went out there to do like her placement year at uni. She was at FIT, so I was like, we're staying in her dorms, wherever, and it was her birthday. And she's like, right, let's go to Little Italy for for dinner. Great. I mean, I wasn't even into food that much at the time because I was like 23, 24. So I was sitting into my like, oh, I'm so into fashion type vibe. I swear to God, I walk into this restaurant and it was like walking to a scene of Sopranos. Everyone looked like cartoon characters. There was like murals or family painted on the wall. Like all the women were like four inches worth of makeup and they had about 10 bottles worth of hairspray in their hair. Like big, like Soprano looking men with like smoking cigars obviously you couldn't smoke in those days the bandit you know I was like what is going on here like who owns this place it's like this is like cool but scary at the same time and it was just like I felt like we did not belong <laughs> but it was the most incredible experience I would say to my friends after I was like do you think that's put on I was like absolutely not that is li- that is like some real deal like New York Italian shit going on right there and I'm like wow like I remember, like, when I was younger, I always dreamt about being, like, a Mafia Don's wife. I don't know why. Why would I want to do that? Like, <laughs> that is just so ridiculous. But I think I, I was quite romanticised about the idea of, like, oh, yeah, you know, gangster. Like, yeah. So I'm looking around going, oh, one of these could be my, like, future husband. <laughs> but it was a great experience. I loved it. Love. I'll never forget that. It was, like, my first ever time in New York. And I was like, this is, like, the real Italian New York experience. I love it when you go somewhere like that and the people are exactly how you want them to be. It's almost like they've been sent there by central casting. I know? felt like I'd taken something. Because I'm like, this is just weird. This is surreal. Like, this is, like, this is tripping me out. It was so, like, cartoon-like. I was like, this can't be real. Brilliant. But it apparently it was. It was. It was brilliant. So I'm going to ask you my last question. And my last question is always about music. Mm-hmm. And I would like to know if you could choose just one song oh. that has played in that reminds you of a special, memorable moment of travel. What is that song and where were you and why? It doesn't have to be your favourite song. With a lot of people, it's like a ridiculous there is, song. Um, there is a, a Colombian I think he's Colombian. Let me just double check. Gerard Roger. Yeah, no, he's, yeah. he's, he's, he's Colombian. A massive salsa star from maybe, I think it was like the 70s or 80s. And he's got this beautiful song called La Rebellion. And it's talking about the black Colombians and about their fight out of slavery and all of that. But the mute, the song, the beat, everything is just so empowering. And um, it just reminds me of my nan... My um, Awalita, she recently passed away, but she loved Joel Roger. She absolutely loved him, and any time he'd come on, you know, she would always get up and dance. Um, I think when I think about Colombia, I think I love the old school seventies and eighties salsa music. I'm not really into the new stuff at all. I never was, and still now, like I'll, I've got like a Spotify playlist where I just got all the tracks that my nan used to like listening to, or my mum and her sisters and my aunts used to like party to when they were younger. But yeah, Joel Rojo, La Rebellion, it's an, it's a, if, you can, if you can get it, it's great. Like, 
I hear it. I'll be walking down the street and I'll, I will do a little salsa move if I have to. Like, it's incredible. I'm not allowed to play it because we don't have the money no. to, but will I know it? Yeah, I, f- I hope you okay, will. What's, because it, it, what's it called? It's La Rebellion. <laughs> I see what they do there. Yeah. Okay, that's brilliant. We just had a little listen to it. I can't play it, but I would recommend you look it up. It's Joe Arroyo in an English accent. Yeah. Joe Arroyo. Y la verdad, yeah. Joe Arroyo and la verdad, and it's la rebellion. Yeah. And would you recommend? Because I used to work in a salsa bar in Antwerp for about a right. year, and it was a weird time in my life because even though I'd been on stage and dancing before, I, I was going out with a musician, and for some reason his confidence on stage sort of paralysed mine and stopped me singing and dancing for a while. So even though I really wanted to like do salsa and I was in the perfect position to learn salsa and mm. I've always wanted to do it, mm. I didn't. And uh, anyway, it's a regret. Is there anywhere you'd recommend in London that we can go and have a little salsa? There is actually, I think it's, I think it's on Tottenham Court Road or Charing Cross Road. I can't remember which road it is, but it's called Salsa. And every Thursday, I used to go, when I used to work around the corner, I used to live, work off Shaftesbury Avenue. Uh, it's every Thursday, I think it's 50% off cocktails. <laughs> and they do like a free class. And then if you want, you can pay and then do, go. I think it's like a 15-minute free class. And then if you want, you can then pay for like the next 45 minutes and then after the class everyone that you've like the students are all there and then other pub people from the public come down and they just sometimes they've got a band which is even better and then you can just dance salsa like oh. it's great i really want to do that we'll have to do that thank you so much you italian colombian essex battersea girl for <laughs> sitting here now on Peckham. my now Peckham. Peckham girl <laughs> sitting here on my bed on my four poster bed in tuscany before we go, I must ask you, you've mm-hmm. got to tell us about your supper clubs. Oh, okay. So I've got a residency now in East Dulwich. I do supper clubs and cooking classes, southern Italian food, simple recipes, amazing flavours, encompassing all the things I love about South, South Italy. But the point of the supper clubs isn't just you to come and taste my food. I'm giving you a four-course meal that I want you to enjoy. And then I then give you a class two weeks later where I will teach you how to make those dishes at home so you can then entertain your friends because my whole brand is all about not just about the food but the social aspect of it um but there's one a month and it's been held in a pop-up space called 57 the next one's on the 20th of october but there'll be ones following on each month after that so if you want to know more details follow me at the tiny italian on my instagram and all my socials or head to my website thetinyitalian.com for more Wonderful. information i can't wait to, uh, to come to a supper club because you see me as a bit of a project because i can't cook yeah i, I can't wait you're gonna be my next project i can't wait <laughs>